may be seated. Are you of the household of Epaphroditus? I mentioned last night before I finished the service that I would be preaching tonight on a very obscure individual in your Bible. And I would say this, he's so obscure I had no sermons to go to to try to get some ideas. I had no, nothing to go to. I've never heard this man preached on. And yet it's interesting that the Lord has chosen to preserve his memory and his name and bring him to us tonight. And I believe there's some reasons why. Notice Paul bestows upon him three titles. Paul refers to him as a fellow brother. Paul refers to him as a fellow laborer. And Paul refers to him as a fellow soldier. The first title he gives him, he calls him, look with me in verse 25. He says, yet I suppose it necessary to send you Epaphroditus. Now listen to this. He calls him my brother. Say those two words with me. My brother. Man, when I read that tonight and you just followed along in your Bible, I will guarantee you, you just went right past that and never really caught the importance and the weightiness of that title Paul gave this man. That is an amazing title Paul gave Epaphroditus when you consider who these two men were and where they came from. Who was the apostle Paul before he became a believer? Well, if you go to chapter 3, just right across the page there in verse number 5, you'll find an autobiographical sketch of the Apostle Paul. He tells you who he was right in the Bible. Who was Paul before he became a believer? In Philippians 3 and verse 5, he says, Here's who I was. I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin and Hebrew of the Hebrews. As touching the law, Paul says, I was a Pharisee. Who was the Apostle Paul? If we could put him on this side of the stage tonight and just look at his background and his biographical sketch, the first thing we're going to know is this. Paul was a Jew. He wasn't a Gentile. Paul was a Jew. But second of all, Paul wasn't just any old Jew. Paul was an ultra-Orthodox Pharisee. You say, well, who is that? How many of you ever seen pictures of the Wailing Wall over in Jerusalem? You ever see? Just raise your hand. You say, I've seen pictures, guys with fuzzy hats, earlocks, bobbing at the Wailing Wall. That was Paul. He would have been, if you went to Israel today, of the sect of, of the Jews that would have inhabited Mia Sharim, the ultra-Orthodox community over there. He was a Jew, not a Gentile. But he was an ultra-Orthodox Jew. But more than that, Paul was raised, according to Acts 22, verse 3, at the feet of Gamaliel, a very powerful Jewish figure of the day. So Paul, thirdly, would have been a very powerful, elite Jewish political figure. And he would have also been an upper-class, well-educated individual. That was the apostle Paul. Well, if that was Paul, who was Epaphroditus? I can just give you the short version and then we'll expand on it. He was the polar opposite of Paul. Everything Paul was, Epaphroditus wasn't. And everything Paul wasn't, Epaphroditus was. Where Paul was a Jew, Epaphroditus was a Gentile. Where Paul was a very strict, ultra-Orthodox religious Jew, Epaphroditus was a 
pagan Gentile whose name literally meant belonging to Aphrodite, a pagan sensual female goddess of the day. Where Paul was a powerful elite Jewish political figure and an upper-class, well-educated, white-collar individual, Epaphroditus would have been nothing more than a worshiper of a pagan deity, a common, lower-class, blue-collar, uneducated Gentile. If you could visit these two men's homes as they were raised as children, you could have seen what went on around Paul's table. Paul was raised despising those Gentile dogs. Those Gentiles on the other side of town were the butt of every Jewish joke that sat around their table. They're the ones that Daddy said, don't you ever go ahead and be like them. You're better, you're different. And everything around that Jewish table that Paul grew up in, they literally snarled and hated the thought of even hanging out with the Gentile dogs. But on the other side of the street, in Epaphroditus' house from a little child, he'd been raised to hate those proud, arrogant Jews that thought they were better than everybody else. And every joke around his table, it was at the expense of a Jew, not a Gentile. And men like these, could I just say, men like these, they couldn't be more opposite. For centuries, they had been separated, and they had no common bond. They were separated politically. They were separated socially. They were separated religiously. They were separated culturally. They would have called each other enemies. They could have called each other adversaries. Great barriers and divisions had been built up between these men over centuries, even in their approach to God. They would have never called each other brother. See, we just go right past that phrase and we miss it. This, these divisions are noted if you turn in your Bible about four pages earlier to Ephesians chapter 2. I want you to notice the distinctives here in the Bible. Let me just tell you, the Bible is not an old-fashioned book for centuries gone by. It's a very living Bible. It's a very, a very, very cognizant because we're living in those days today. There are great divisions in America tonight between different classes of people and political parties. There's great divisions. There's many a harsh word being said at many a table in America about people on the wrong side of the tracks or not who we are. Amen? Just want you to know. Mm -hmm. Human nature never changes. Right. We always find somebody different to hate. Right. And so it was with Paul and Epaphroditus. This had been ingrained in them for centuries. Notice in Ephesians chapter 2, these barriers are noted here, these divisions between these men, even in their approach to God. In Ephesians 2 and verse 11, look at what's said here. Ephesians 2, and go back to verse 8. I just got to read these two verses. These are the two verses God awakened me to my need to be saved as a young Marine. Notice in verse 8 and 9, he says in Ephesians 2, For by grace are ye saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Can I just say tonight, if you're looking for something to do to bribe your way into heaven, it's not something to be earned. It's a gift to be received. Amen. Let me just say this tonight. If you can do something to get to heaven, then why did God butcher his son for you? That's right. You're telling him you've got something better to add to or offer. 
what he already butchered and offered for your filthy sin. How dare you minimize the sacrifice of his one and only. Amen? He's telling you that. that I've been earning my way to heaven all my life trying to get more good than bad. When I read those two verses, I suddenly realized I didn't know what the Bible said or how God thought. And for two months, I gave myself to the Word of God and studying it. And on a Monday night Bible study outside of Servicemen's, Servicemen's Center Millington, God saved me, and I received the gift I didn't earn. Heaven, I received the gift of salvation. Amen? So I just want to throw that in for free. I make no assumptions tonight where you are in your spiritual journey, but if you're looking to get to heaven, you're going to have to go to the Son to get that, and you're not going to earn it. You're going to have to simply receive it by faith. He's already paid the price. But notice here, he goes on to say this in verse 11, and this is fascinating. As we think of Paul and we think of Epaphroditus, polar opposites, there are great barriers and divisions between them, even in their approach to God. We read two words in verse 11. Listen to what's said. Wherefore, remember... Look up for just a moment. This is fascinating. God, could I just say tonight, when God tells you to remember something, you know why he does that? Because you're probably going to be prone to forget this or minimize it. What are you supposed to remember? I'm going to read this. I'm going to get a chuckle out of this. You ready? Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past, Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh, made by hands. Look up. You go, what am I even supposed to remember? I don't even know what that said. (laughs) Can I give you the layman's version? God says, don't forget this. You're a Gentile, not a Jew. That's all he's saying in verse 11. You're a Gentile, not a Jew. Just out of curiosity, do we have any Jews here tonight? Just raise your hand and say, I'm a Jew. Just raise your hand. Anybody at all? You say, wow. I don't know. Am I? If you have to ask, you're not. (laughs) Jews know who Jews are, okay? Amen? That's true. You got to ask, you're not. You know if you're a Jew. So what I'm reading to you, about to read to you in Ephesians 2, is a reminder from God that's directly to Gentiles. What is it God wants us to note here? We're Gentiles, we're not Jews. And because of that, look at what we had coming if you remove Jesus Christ from the formula. He says in verse 12 that at that time you were without Christ. Look up for just a moment. There's an inference there. He's talking to adults. And he's saying there was a time you were without Jesus Christ. Do you know tonight you weren't born, as you were born into America, you weren't automatically born a Christian just because we claim to be a Christian nation. Just because your parents were Christians doesn't make you one just because you got born. All right? I want you to understand. There was a time and is a time every individual walks this earth without Jesus Christ. I walked for 18 years without him. Went to church every Sunday, read my Bible, but I didn't belong to him. He didn't belong to me. And you need to recognize you're not automatically born a Christian. You have to be born again. Yeah. Okay? Amen. And so he says, there was a time you were without Christ. Yeah. Notice, as Gentiles, not Jews, without Messiah, without Christ, here's what we had and here's what we were. We were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. We were strangers from the covenants of promise. We had no hope and were without God in this world. Wow. You know, I know we Americans like to think this whole universe revolves around us. 
But could I just remind you, there was a time for thousands of years, if you wanted to meet the God of this universe, you had to go to the Jewish camp to find him. Yep. Amen. He didn't hang out with Gentiles. Yep. He was the God of Israel. He was the God of the Jews. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. And approach to this God, this Shekinah glory God that dwelled with the nation of Israel, mm -hmm. the approach to him was very limited and extremely restricted. Mm -hmm. Let me illustrate. One day out of every year, one man got to meet God face to face he had the smallest room and closest to Shekinah glory in the temple. It was called the Holy of Holies. He was the great high priest. He had to bring innocent blood with him according to the law or he was dragged out dead from the holiness of God. Yeah. And so the room was the smallest, it was the highest, and it was the closest to God, and it was limited to one single man one day out of the year. Now, if you took a step out from that room, the room got a little bigger. It was a little further from God, and it was also a little lower. That was called the holy place, and one group of men ministered there in the temple worship, the Kohanim. Then you took another step down, and you got a little further from God, and the room got a little bigger and a little broader, but it was also a little lower. And there you found what was referred to as the inner court. One tribe ministered there, the tribe of Levi. Yeah. Then you took a step down and got further from God and lower, one group of men ministered there, Jewish men. Then you went, stepped down, got further away from God and lower. That was the court of the Jewish women. Yeah. That's as close as they could get to the God of this universe. You say, well, where were we Gentiles? We were the lowest out and the lowest down and the furthest out. We are like little kids trying to look at what was going over there. Man, what's going on with their God? Shekinah glory, lighting it up in the, at the night. Cloud and pillar of cloud in the daytime. That was his God, their God. He wasn't our God. Those were his promises, Jewish promises. They were given to the Jew. But he wasn't our God. We weren't his people. We were outside looking in. Yeah, right. We were the furthest out uh -huh. and the lowest down yeah. in approach to the God of this universe. But then one day someone yeah. came along, <laughs> changed the whole formula. Amen. Look at what's said here, Ephesians chapter 2. Yeah. Look with me. To pick the context up, put it in verse 12, Gentiles, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, watch this. In Christ Jesus, yeah. Amen. not in your church, yeah. not in your self-righteousness, not in your baptism, not in your good works, mm -mm -mm. in the person of Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, that's we Gentiles, are we are now made nigh by the blood of Christ. That's what those girls sang about tonight. We're brought close to God. The word nigh means brought into his presence, brought close to God by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me just tell you something. When Jesus Christ came and lived the sinless life, you could never live and I could never live. And then died the perfect sinless sacrifice in place of you and in place of me. We could never do that. 
And then he raised himself from the dead because he's the quickening, life-giving spirit. How can you kill a quickening spirit? You can't. He's going to raise himself from the dead. When he came and did all that, he brought with him two things that had never happened before in the history of this universe. One was a vertical change between God and man. The other was a horizontal change between people that were so different. What was the vertical change? The first thing he brought with him was the opportunity. I wrote it this way. He gave every one of us equal access to the God of this universe. Look at what it said. Ephesians 2, the Bible just comes out and says, it says this in verse 13, but, but now in Christ Jesus, he who sometimes were far off, that be the Gentiles, were made nigh by the blood of Christ. Look at what he says, for through him, verse 18, we both, who's the both, Jew and Gentile, now have access by one spirit unto this Father. You know the first thing Jesus Christ did for mankind when he lived that sinless life and died that sinless death and became the sacrifice for your sin, he tore down that veil that was between God and man. He exposed the Holy of Holies that only one man could enter very timidly. Where once it was very narrow and very cautious, suddenly it became wide and bold with these words, whosoever will may now come boldly to this God by my blood. Amen. We call that, you ready for this deep theological term? The priesthood of the believer. It doesn't matter tonight if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter tonight if you're white or black. It don't matter tonight if you're smarter than smart or dumber than a box of rocks. It don't matter tonight if you're male or female, city slicker or country boy. It don't matter. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that, what's the word? Whosoever. Believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, the first thing Jesus Christ brought with him, this world had never seen, was equal access to the God of this universe. It doesn't matter tonight who you are. We have one thing in common. We're sinners by nature and (coughs) sinners by choice, which is exactly why he died. He came to save sinners from their sin. Amen? And when he came, where once that was a very narrow and restricted approach to God, he tore open the Holy of Holies and he said, Whosoever will may now come to this God by me. Amen? He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He's the door. He's the access, and he's got the keys. And last time I checked, who holds the keys unlocks the doors. He brought with him equal access to God. But second of all, he brought something else the world had never seen. He brought common fellowship horizontally with one another. Look at Ephesians 2 with me. Watch this. In Ephesians 2, it says in verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes are far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ, And notice in verse uh, 14, for he is our peace, who hath broken down what? Who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall partition between us. Between who? The context, the Jew and the Gentile. Jews and Gentiles never approached this God together. Jews were way out there. 
Amen? It was compartmentalized and segregated. And now, horizontally, those who come to know Christ as their Savior can gather together in His name and all those barriers that once stood between us religiously, once stood between us culturally, they fall in the person of Jesus Christ and we have now common fellowship with one another. Amen? Amen. Amen. When you look at that vertical change and you look at that horizontal change, could I just say, young person, young people say it this way, Jesus Christ was the game changer. He changed it all forever. And tonight, if he is your Savior, if there's come a time in your life where you've trusted him as Savior, you just come to know him in a personal way and he's now your Savior, let me tell you, you have just as much right to access the God of this universe as I do. And now we have a common bond. His name is Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. It's beautifully manifested in the local assembly, such as one here tonight. I wrote this down. Regardless of our social backgrounds, regardless of our economic and ethnic differences, our religious and personal backgrounds, and even our personalities, our diversity is swallowed up by our identity with Jesus Christ the day we get saved. We become fellow brothers and fellow sisters and fellow brothers and fellow sisters enjoy fellowship. Amen. Amen. Brother Connor, I want to use you as an illustration. Come on up here. I've been toying around who I was going to use, and I promise I will not embarrass you. But son, come on up. I want you to come up. Ben, you you got the sound booth? You manage that thing? All right, Connor, what are you doing? Unplugging? He just, I just said his name. He disappeared. <laughs> Help him up, Ben. Help my, he's putting his shoes on, isn't he? <laughs> my sound man. All right. All right, Ben, you're on your own now. I hope you make it happen. All right. Come on up, Connor. Come on. I'm going to use you, all right? <laughs> Son, you're going to make the perfect illustration. I'm going to tell you right now. This, this was a good call. I'm telling you. I was trying to figure out who would be very different from me. (laughs) And I think I just hit a Grand Slam homer on this one, all right? Now, you've got to come back tomorrow night and the next night, all right, Connor? Are you going to be here? Um, I don't know. You don't know? I'm going to try and get off work. Okay, all right. Well, do what you can, but I got you tonight, all right? So Brother Connor is going to help me here. When I look at Brother Connor and I, we are very, very different. Just in the short time I've gotten to know him. And let me just run through some of the differences. First of all, I'm 58 years old. Connor, you are? 18. Holy son, there is a generation gap difference. (laughs) All right, you all with me? Connor, FYI, software wasn't even a word when I was your age. I'm being serious. It wasn't even a word. We didn't even know what the word was. All right, so we got a big gap there. You all with me? Mm -hmm. Um, I uh, raised in a German family. Warnick, is that German? What is it? You're Pole. <laughs> we took you guys out pretty quick, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so German and a Pole. Son, I didn't know that. That's good, that's good stuff for the next church I'm coming to. Amen. All right. So <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm a country boy. I raised on a beef operation, a farm, and you were? Raised in the woods. You were raised in the woods. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's a close one. All right. <laughs> uh, firstborn. Third? If yeah. you have to ask Connor. <laughs> okay. 
because it was better than I thought it was going to be. I was raised in a non-Christian home. Yourself? Christian home. Okay, there's a difference there. Y'all with me? That's some differences. Um, Marine Corps. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Boy Scouts? No. Cub Scouts? No. Nope. Weeblos? No. Nope. Mm. None of that. Okay. Dad's, dad's garage. Dad's garage, okay. <laughs> I've seen your dad's garage. That ain't even a close call, man, son, all right? So there's a military, non-military. Generation gap. Birth order gap. Guarantee you there's a personality difference here. Could we hear an amen? All right. I am total alpha male. Fix the bayonet. Step aside. Make it wide. Make it happen. Amen. Now, here's the thing. Connor and I, just in the course of life, probably shouldn't really be seeking each other out to spend time together. You all with me? But one day, his path crossed with Jesus Christ. He saw he was a dirty, rotten, wicked, filthy sinner, and he needed a Savior. He took a knee and trusted Christ as Savior and entered into the household of faith by faith. Amen. And one day as an 18-year-old Marine, I saw my need for a Savior. I took a knee and by faith trusted Christ as my Savior. And the instant that happened, where once we would never seek each other out, we, we had no time for each other, all of a sudden we have this huge common bond. We belong to the same Savior. We're singing the same song. We're sinners saved by grace. We're heading to the same place called heaven. We got the same heavenly Father, the Lord. Amen? And where once we'd have paid each other no mind, suddenly we become fellow brothers in the Lord. We have a common bond in Christ, and we enter into turn to face me. We enter into a face-to-face relationship. We enjoy fellowship. We talk about the Lord. We talk about that experience of what it means to be saved and in the household of faith. Amen? Amen. That's all I need tonight, brother. Amen. If you come back, great. But if not, I'll find somebody else. Yeah, somebody will find out he's not coming back. The whole church won't show up. Afraid they're going to be up here. All right. <laughs> Thank you, brother Connor. I appreciate your help. Just keep your shoes on. I might have you back up here again. All right. <laughs> you know. You say, how could two people so opposite? Have any common bond? The answer is simply this. We've got a common salvation and a common Savior whose name is Jesus Christ. And the basis for our fellowship with with one another is fellowship with the Son. Go to 1 John near the end of your Bible. I want you to see this. In 1 John, in chapter number 1, look at what's said here in 1 John 1. It's not the book of John. It's near the end of the Bible, getting close to Revelation. In 1 John chapter 1, in a single verse, the Bible tells you this moment that Connor and I illustrated. Look at what's said in 1 John 1 in verse 3. He says, John says, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. Notice the reason why. That ye also may have fellowship with us. Social communication, face-to-face relationship. But notice how that occurs. And truly our fellowship is with the, he's talking about God, Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You know the day you trust Christ as your Savior? Vertically everything changes. Now you have access to the God of this universe through the blood of Calvary and the person of his Son. But second of all, suddenly you have a common bond an opportunity to fellowship with others who've come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior as well. 
And I am amazed how Jesus Christ bridges differences. On the movie, I'm gifting you, uh, you guys tonight, all the visitors, and some of you maybe have already seen it. Three clicks in is a fellow named Kenny Grant, African-American Marine. He was a chief drill instructor. He trained other drill instructors in the Corps. Kenny was a uh, protege, or Kenny was a, um, um, he was in the Marine Corps at the same time I was, but we never met each other, but we had a mutual friend, the man who led me to the Lord, and then the man who discipled him, Bill Overway, would always tell us about each other. We were on different ends of the state. My MOS and the Marines was way different. We never met, but Bill would always say, you got to meet Kenny, and he'd tell Kenny, you got to meet Dave. And then one day came when we got into evangelism about 19 years ago. We took our motor home with our six kids, and we went down to Savannah, Georgia, to meet Kenny Grant. Now, Kenny's an African-American Marine, and he was a chief drill instructor, which simply means he trained drill instructors, and his work in Savannah was in the hood. He worked in the urban section of Savannah, Georgia. Tough turf. In fact, when I went to that church, I remember you had to buzz your way through two electronic doors to get into his church house, just like a police station. They were shooting each other in the parking lot. I'd never seen a motorhome put on blocks. I was afraid my motorhome was going to get put on blocks. Just telling you the truth. I, well, I almost wanted to stick around and see how they were going to do it. Because it's like, man, I'd never seen that. Go, it was tough turf. And I remember we got down there with our six children. They were a singing group. We got into that church. And you talk about some cultural differences. Amen? Yeah. Who's ever been to an African-American church service? All right? There's some cultural differences. And here's how the setting was. Kimberly was up here playing piano on a baby grand piano. Across the way was a guy who looked like Ray Charles. He was sitting on keyboard with a set of sunglasses sitting there. There was a robe choir between them. And then a sea of black out here. We about the only honkies in the whole place. <laughs> I was seven sitting in the front row, my wife over there, or my daughter over there on piano. And I remember Kenny's uh, leading the service, and I'm sitting there with my wife and kids, and I'm watching this, and this is how it goes. They sang the old hymns just like we did, and as they came into one of the hymns, Kimberly played the intro. She played exactly how it was written, exactly how it's written. And Ray Charles is over here. He's sitting there listening to this. He's listening to her play, his head's cocked to the side. And then as the song starts, he starts swinging it. And the choir starts swaying and clapping and singing. You know, the whole choir going... And, and, and Ray Charles is over here swinging it. Well, Kimberly hears that, so she starts swinging it and rolling it with him. He's over here like this. Yeah, you got it, sister. You got it. And this is how this whole service went. Every song, I started leaning forward. There goes Kimberly's playing it like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ray Charles kicks in. There goes the choir. Oh, Kimberly's joining Ray Charles. Oh, a big smile breaks out on his teeth. You can see the, yeah, sister. And I'm cracking up. <laughs> I, I've never preached at African-American church, so I get up to preach. They talk to you. The women get their hankies out. They start waving. Yeah. Start, mm, they're man. Like, mm. You know. You know, women, you listen up. He's talking to you. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and so I go through this service. Man, we pray. I don't change my preaching one bit. I don't care who you are. I'm going to preach it straight because that's what you need. You need the truth, not a bunch of lies and stuff. Amen. We finished up, man, as good a service as I've ever been in. We went out to lunch with Kenny and his wife and their, their kids. While we're sitting in that buffet, they always did buffets. <laughs> It'll kill you, but it's a wonderful way to go. <laughs> and we're sitting there, and I turned to Kenny, and I said, I turned to Kimberly, my oldest daughter. I said, Kimberly, you will never believe what we saw 
in this service. And we're all lined out, my wife and I and the other five kids right here where you are. And she said, well, what'd you see, Dad? Kimberly's my just sweetie, just oh, sweet, excellent spirited kid. She kind of smiled. I said, what'd you see, Dad? I said, well, and I began to explain to her the concert pianist and then Ray Charles. And you know, she couldn't see all that. And she said, oh, if you think that was funny, you should have seen what I saw. I said, well, what could be funnier than that? She says, well, here I am, Dad. I'm up there playing piano. She says, I look out over the congregation as a sea of black swaying and seven white toothpicks in the front row. <laughs> we whiteies, man, we ain't going to move, man. We just sitting there. You know what I'm saying? I thought Kenny was going to slide out of his chair and choke on his lunch. He was laughing so hard. I want to tell you something about those churches when I come into them. I've got into those churches, and they love on us just as much as any white church we've ever been on. Their mamas want the same thing for their kids. They don't want them to die young. They want them to grow up and count for something. They don't want them to go to hell. They want them to go to heaven. They want them to get to Jesus. You all with me? Uh, Them dads want their sons and daughters to turn out right. That's a very broken community. One in eight children in the African-American community has a dad living at home. Wow. Kenny would bring our family in. And he said, Brother Dave, I like your preaching, but bring the whole family when you come. I said, why is that? He said, my people need to see a family unit. Yeah. Them women hug on my wife just as much as any white woman would ever hug on them. You know, I'm going to tell you something. We get politics and press out of this race thing, we'd all get along. Yeah. I got something better. Put Jesus in it. We definitely would. He's the Savior of all men, especially of them that believe. Yeah. Amen. You're going to enjoy Kenny Grant when you watch the movie. He'll tell you how God used him as a drill instructor. He'll give you three lessons from the drill field that are powerful, biblical lessons. I'm amazed how our diversity gets swallowed up by our identity with Jesus Christ the day we get saved. And I want to say the devil's not happy with the unity of our family manifested in the local church. He tries to mix it up by changing the common denominator. Go to 1 Corinthians with me and notice what's said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, look at what's said here in verse number 9. The church at Corinth saw this happen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 9, look at what's said here. The Bible says, God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Notice again, that vertical relationship that brought them into a horizontal relationship. Begin with Jesus Christ. And then notice what he says. Now I beseech you, brethren, verse 10, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be how many divisions among you? Say the word. No, no division among you. You know, I've often thought to myself, how does a local assembly of individuals that have come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior had their eternity completely changed, had their sins all forgiven, now have a vertical relationship with the God of this universe through the blood of Calvary and the opportunity of fellowship with one another? How in the world can the devil get in that thing and mess it up? It's very simple. He takes the focus off of who brought you together to start with. Mm -hmm. Amen? Can I tell you something mathematically that I've come to understand? You must have a common denominator to combine unlike 
fractions or factions. Yeah. Right. But you don't need one to divide. No. Amen? Right. How do you become a local church here of saved, baptized, born-again believers? How do, you, how do you possibly have a no-division church? The answer is very simply, you need to go ahead and get your focus back on the one who brought you together to start with. Because our Savior is not a divided Savior. And our Father's will is there's no fussing in the family. Look at Psalm 133. We're almost done tonight. It's not a lengthy message, but I want to tap you with this thought to begin our series. Look at what's said in Psalm 133. In Psalm 133, notice even the psalmist centuries ago recognized this truth in verse number 1. He said this in Psalm 133 in verse 1, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. You know, tonight, those of you that are saved, our common denominator is Jesus Christ. It's not our social differences. That's not our common denominator. We all have different backgrounds. It's not our ages and generation in which we were born. Those are all different tonight. That can't be our common denominator. Amen? It can't be, our common denominator can't be life's experiences. It can't be our religious backgrounds. Our common denominator cannot be uh, uh, our education or lack thereof. Common denominator must be an unchanging Savior yeah. who's the same yesterday, yeah. today, and forever. Amen. And our Father's will tonight is there's no fussing in the family. You know, He's the one who brought us together, by the way. Do you know tonight, is this profound? This is a profound thought. <laughs> Do you know tonight, we're not gathered in your name. <laughs> right. We're not gathered in Pastor Warnick's name tonight. We're not here because of him. Amen? Amen. We're not gathered tonight in my name. We're not gathered in your name. Sorry. Right. We're gathered here tonight in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ Amen. and for his cause. Amen. I hear the song. Well, if that's why we're here, then what should we talk about? The song says it well. Let's talk about Jesus. The King of kings is he. The Lord of lords supreme through all eternity. The great I am the way. The truth, the life, the door. Let's talk about Jesus more and more. Yeah, it's all about him tonight. And notice something. Go to John 13. I'm almost done. I want you to see something tonight. Those of you that are saved, you need to recognize tonight that in this local assembly, with all of our different backgrounds, cultural differences, generation gaps, Notice here the hallmark, what it is that indicates we're a disciple of the Lord's. In John 13, Jesus Christ is speaking. And listen to what he says in John 13 and verse number 35. Jesus Christ says that by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. Look up for just a moment. <laughs> Think how 
people complete that thought today. By this shall all men know you're my disciples if you have good doctrine. And I believe in good doctrine. We're living in a day-to-day where foundational doctrinal truths are just getting thrown away. Could I just say doctrine is truth? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. By the way, there's more than one Jesus out there, too. The Bible makes it very clear there's spirits that call themselves Jesus, but they're not the Jesus of the Bible. Another Jesus, another gospel, another spirit. You say, how am I ever going to figure all that out? That's what the Bible's for. Thy word is truth. Amen? Amen? Not your intellect. Not some experience. The Bible tells you and validates what's worth believing. It's the written word that represents the living word. By this shall all men know you're my disciples if you have an incredible mission program. And I believe in missions. I believe in getting the gospel beyond us. But he doesn't say that. By this shall all men know you're my disciples. What's he say? Look, if ye have love one toward another. You know, when a visitor comes here, we have visitors here tonight, comes into this assembly, let me just say this. They shouldn't be able to explain you away. They shouldn't be able to figure out why you love each other so much that you'd be willing to die for each other. Because the world finds the differences to kill each other off over. But the one thing we have in common is bigger than all the differences. And they they shouldn't be able to explain you away. The local church should operate differently than corporate America. The local church should have a whole different spirit and attitude than your workplace where everybody's talking about the boss at the water cooler and downing somebody when their back's turned and betraying each other. Y'all with me? Yeah, amen. They should walk in here and say, you got to be kidding me. We got young kids. We got old gray heads. We got farmers and city slickers. We got rich and poor, educated, uneducated. They ought to just be drawing lines in the sand and going to war. And instead, good grief, man, they are dying for each other. They're loving on each other. They're helping each other. They're loyal to each other. They shouldn't be able to explain you away. Amen. And if they can, I'm going to tell you your problem is, you're spending a whole bunch of time staring at other variables than the one who brought you together. Yeah, sure. Amen, brother. Because for God so loved this world, mm-hmm. he gave. Yeah. He butchered his one and only. Yeah. Even if you'd spit on him and reject him, he still died for you. Amen. That's amazing tonight. Yeah. You say, well, Brother Dave, I never quite looked at it that way. This vertical and horizontal and how because of Jesus Christ I have the wonderful privilege to set aside differences. And to go ahead and fellowship with someone who has a mutual experience. They got saved just like me and we have a common salvation and a common Savior. So what's my responsibility? Go to Ephesians 4 and I'm done. Watch this. Ephesians 4 Look at our responsibility. He gives it to us, and I'm done tonight. Ephesians 4 and verse 1. Paul says to the church of Ephesus, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Listen to this walk, this worthy walk. 
with all lowliness, meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You know, when you look at this command to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace as brothers and sisters that have been saved, if you're truly saved and born again, we have a very common connection tonight. If you're just religious like I was, then we'll have battles. But if you've been born again, we have a common bond. Amen? It's telling you. And a lot of times, you know, when I counsel couples that are warring, the honeymoon's over. Sometimes that was a day, sometimes it was a year, but sooner or later they go to war. They come in for counseling, and pastor, you've done the same thing. People always say, well, you're trying to put them back together. No, that's not really where I'm at when I pastored. It's kind of like a triangle. If this is the Lord right here, you got the husband here and the wife there, the goal isn't to get them to get closer to each other. The goal is to get them to get closer to the Lord. And the closer they get to the Lord, automatically they'll get closer to each other. Could I say tonight? Mm -hmm. We all could get a little closer. Some of you tonight are outside looking in. This thing of grace and salvation is a mystical thing. For you, I pray, God would open your eyes one day and let you see you're a dirty, rotten, wicked, filthy sinner. You need a Savior. Mm-hmm. That's my prayer for you. It took me two and a half months of studying the Bible before God opened my eyes. and It wasn't a mystery then. It's pretty simple. I was a dirty, rotten, wicked sinner. I needed a Savior to save me from my sin. I found him. His name is Jesus Christ. I'm not offering to you tonight, if you're here as a visitor and you're not, I'm not offering you a Baptist church. We can't save you. Could I get an amen? Right. Don't stare at me like you think you can. You've got to be kidding me, man. That was way too quiet. What are you preaching around here, preacher? Huh? I mean, listen, if going to church makes you a Christian, don't go in a barn. You're a horse, man. That don't do it. A pastor can't save you. Your priest can't save you. A religious group can't save you. Only a Savior can save you. And there's only one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus. He's it. He's the only way to get to heaven. You have him, you have life. You don't have him, you do not have life. I don't care how sincerely you believe something. So if you're outside tonight looking in, I draw your attention to a wonderful Savior who died for you. It ain't me. I'm just a messenger. Turn your eyes on Jesus. He saved me. He saves drunks. He saved porno addicts. He saved self-righteous all-American boys like me. He could save every sinner. If you look, you can live. But if you're here tonight and you're saved, just want to remind you, you got a difference with somebody here? You got a problem? You need to get your eyes back on where your salvation there started. You, Amen. you get it back on the Savior. Because a million years from now, your little fussing difference isn't going to make a whit of difference. Right. It'll mean nothing. It'll all be about Jesus then. It ought to be all about Him right now. Yeah. Amen. Right.
You get as close to him as you can. And all those differences fall away. The closer you get to Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's bow our hearts before the Lord.